fuck. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. I am your host, Mike Maroney. We're happy to have you back tuning in. We got the crew all here again. Mr. Tom Strange is back from selling underwear to join us this week. Tom, how are you, sir? We missed you last week. Guys, it, it feels really good to be back. I um, I didn't know where I was last week. I felt lost. The universe was against me, but but all is well. well I thought we had a great show. So Actually, I heard that it was the best show of the season. So you know, it, we'll see how this one goes, and then maybe I'll just duck out again. It's essentially now a tryout. You didn't realize that, but this is now a tryout. <laughs> I've been but called Tom, back up. Tom's our uh, Tom's our resident apparel expert, and we're going to call you our our amateur golf expert. You're the you're the preeminent voice on this show for amateur golf and played some high end stuff. And McLean Boyd is here. He's our preeminent equipment guru. Jay Woodson is our the player. Let's again, let's be honest, the actual one that played golf. That's nice of you to say that. And then uh, I am the resident PGA professional because. You know, what is this game without PGA professionals? Amen. Nothing. <laughs> We're going to get to a PGA professional here later on in the show that, uh, oh, well, that's air quotes under PGA professional when we're talking <laughs> to him. But um, I do, uh, we have a hot topic. We have the show last week. I had a few questions. I had like two guys text me, Jay, and say, what putter are you putting with? But the marriage never even happened. I asked you if you married your putter and you've already divorced it. It's I, gone. It was I, more I, like a one night stand at this point. I, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I um, I really like the concept of of trying it. I think that the I would like. I'm used to playing like an answer style, you know, a ping answer or a new a Scotty Cameron Newport Newport two that style head. I would love to see the plumber's neck with uh, that that exact style head with just some real small extensions on the toe and the heel just to kind of increase the MOI a little bit, just a little bit right now. I think everything's so extreme. Um, but if they could just do it a little bit and that, I think, I, I think I may really like that because I really, I like the way that the, the putter flows, the, the way the toe hang is. So if anyone comes out with that putter, let me know. I'll so I think it. I got a, I got a guy for you. We'll, we'll, you we, think? Can take, we can take that off the air, but I got a guy. Okay. Um, okay. So basically I'm you I'm open, I'm open. You I need, basically, a, need a hybrid. You had a one night stand with some decent sacks, but then you woke up in the morning, rolled over. and You're like, Whoa, what did I do last night? Well, how many bourbons did I have? She looked like a nine in the bar when you rolled over in the morning. She was a four and a half. Let's be honest. So, um, <laughs> anyways, just, just to update all of our listeners on Jay's, um, yeah, his, his so, putter uh, in his bag. When you roll I over, did. when you roll over and it's a four and a half, do you? <laughs> You Depends what that morning? Is, right? Do you do it again that morning or you, you, you beeline? Are you out the door? You're grabbing your stuff, leaving stuff behind. I got to get out of here. <laughs> who, was, who was the old comedian talking about when, you know, he, he kind of wakes up and he's got his arm underneath and he looks over gotta, and he gotta, goes, Ooh, I got to his arm off. Chew his arm off, right? It's like I was a coyote, you know. Just, Dangerfield, wasn't it? Was no, that Dangerfield? Might have been. Look that at us like going it. back. Yeah. Hey, we're really dating ourselves. We're not that old, guys. God, go back and watch some Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, stuff on YouTube, and you'll you'll absolutely die laughing. Yeah. So watch right, him on Carson. Him on Carson get, highlights are great. Let's get into our topics. We got a decent amount to talk about this week. Um, actually had some news pop up today on a couple fronts that we're going to get into. But let's start with like we always do, the most recent uh, PGA Tour event down in I guess Tampa Bay area, the Valspar. Sam Burns, Tom's boy, is your winner. 
Oh, I totally that forgot. My is right. Wait, sorry. I got to go back to my new segment. McLean's all excited for this segment now. This this week. What's everyone? What's everyone drinking? <clears throat> oh, Tom, what do you I'm, got? Let's go with you first. You weren't here for yeah. this last week, so. Uh, so I am drinking a. As as all you guys know, I've been on this bullet bourbon kick for you know about forty seven years now. So um, I'm sticking with it. I actually, Jay, I got um, Elijah Craig. Isn't that what you're in that your jam? I, I think I love yeah. Elijah Craig. So I got really good for the, money. The price point, I, I can. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a. So I got that one. I got the one you up. told me about, and that is that might I'm not gonna say it's better. It actually might be better. So that's why I'm not. I'm kind of saving that. You know, you get a good one, you have it. You're like, ooh, this ooh, this is pretty good. Well, they, they yeah, they make the Elijah Craig makes a couple really really nice bottles. They make like an 18 year. They make a 21 year. But they're they make a barrel I proof. No, but they make a barrel proof that depending on what state you live in, they'll come out with it selectively every three months or something. And if you have a chance to get the barrel proof, that's that's a great bottle. It's still not super expensive, um, but really really good. I mean, it's 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 stronger, but you know, like I always say, the stronger the, the stronger the the bourbon. Um, if you if you drink it the right way, you can really taste a lot of flavor. Obviously, you're not going to sit there and drink. You know you know, I can pour it all the way to the top. I mean, you're, you're drinking, you know, two ounces and if you drink it neat and if it's during the winter, you can taste it. You can really appreciate why it's, it, it's an expensive bottle of, of bourbon. So, but yeah. What do you got? I had a, I had a I, I'm not done yet. I got oh, yeah, go to say, well, say is it, because of you guys, I mean, and Mikey, the, the whole smoke in the, the glass thing. Now I don't have the, the cool ass contraption you have, but I have a hard time now making a glass of bourbon at home without like putting a little bit of hickory smoke in the glass. <laughs> I, and I just, I do it kind of, I look like you go out my back porch right now. You're like, what is this guy into? There's like hickory <laughs> chips and like a lighter and there's a little pile of wood. Like, is this guy like making meth? Like what's he doing? But, um, but no, I just kind of, I just light it. I got this little blowtorch lighter, put, the, put my glass over it. And it is, honest guy, like it's y'all's fault, but it's hard to drink it any other way than nice. That. I love it. I love it. I need to use my smoker more than I do, but um, my wife hates it because I usually go too much and the house reeks. So I do it inside. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there's your problem. Well, you know, but Jay, what do you got? Um, I'm nothing fancy. Uh, I've just had a bu- bottle of Buffalo Trace that I've tapped into nothing fancy fancy just it's not it's not expensive it's not fancy get. but you just can't get them okay. but i i got a couple bottles that i'm um, holding on to so i'm just slowly sipping these nice um yeah good stuff everybody everybody's heard of it so they, yep. know, they know the drill mclean has a pbr tonight let me tell you what i'm not drinking <laughs> <laughs> i've decided to recover with a 2019 cab from Orin Swift Sellers called Palermo. Big fan of it. Oh, I like Orin Swift. Orin Swift's uh, fantastic. I love what Orin Swift does. Uh, eight years in the desert. Um, the Palermo, the Machete. Um, they make a lot of good grapes. I'm a big fan of them. And I'm happy to be here recovering from last week's caught me off guard moment. Perfect. I, it couldn't have worked out better. I was planning on doing that segment anyways, and then just worked out in my favor that you had PBR last week. Um, all right, now let's get into the Valspar. What are you drinking? 
damn it. I was hoping you, you think we were going to let you get by without that. No, it's so, your turn this yeah, week, pal. Yeah. I'm just going light this week. I'll be honest. I'm just drinking a Corona seltzer. Um, well, That's tell good. everybody about your week, the, you know, the last your days. Well, yeah, my, my, my last couple of weeks have been crazy. The next couple of weeks coming up have been crazy for me. I'm trying to take it a little easy. Jay and I went a little too hard Sunday night. And then yesterday I had a, I don't know, 16 hour day at the club. So I was just taking it a little easy tonight. I just didn't want to jump straight into the bourbon. Um, yeah, I heard y'all's cookout Sunday was pretty outrageous. Y'all have a big time. We so you're fun. saying, Mikey, that you're not drinking anything tonight? No, I'm just drinking a seltzer tonight. I'm taking it light. Yeah. So like he said, he's not drinking anything. What, I mean, what is like, that flavor of seltzer? It's a it's a cherry Corona seltzer. That is super cute. I send those with my kids to lunch in their yeah. in their lunch box. <laughs> I asked I asked my wife for a straw, but I didn't get one. Those those definitely come free with a lunchable. <laughs> I send Thomas too. He's great in math the afternoon. Hey, you know what? I drink a lot of seltzers. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm watching my my waistline, my health a little bit. I've lost some 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 weight this winter and you, early spring. You, you so you know look, what? You do look slim. You know what? I so don't go know. If, go fuck yourselves. I don't know if it's you look slim or I feel like I look really fat. So it's one of the two. I've lost either like 14 way, pounds. So either way, if you hang around people who are constantly gaining weight and you stay the same, then you're gonna feel slim. Right. I you have lost gotta, weight. So anyway, we grew tits. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, let's talk. Can we talk about that? Well, that's, that let's no. not talk about it. No. The worst feeling in the world happened last summer when I was they fell going they fell. down the stairs. No, I'm just casually going down the stairs, and all of a sudden, I'm like, what's that bounce? <laughs> what, what is that? Why? A little jiggle. Why, is that me? The the bro. bro. It's called the fall. It's called the fall. Happens to us all. Happens. It's called the fall. It happens to us all. I sound like Dr. Seuss, but it is. <laughs> Fucking sad state of affairs. When you hit the when you hit and then you and then I figured out I'm running on the beach with my son playing soccer, like joking around with him, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there thinking like, man, everyone's just watching my tits bounce up and down. Yeah, I guarantee you they're what not. a great moment for me. What a great, okay, okay for bad. the record, they're called nanners. Nanners. <laughs> Your man they're sad. Whatever they are is fucking sad. I guarantee, oh, I guarantee you, no one's looking at him, McLean. They yeah. get to the room a fucking three fourths of a second before I do. It's a sad state of affairs. Um. <laughs> all right, mouse bar. All right. So maybe you should drink some seltzer. <laughs> yeah. So all right, yeah, I'm the lame one, not drinking anything fancy tonight. So, uh, Val's bar, Sam Burns. Sam Burns. Tom Tom picked him like eight weeks in a row, and then doesn't make any picks, and he wins. Except so for last week. <laughs> Uh, what what does that say? But where Sam, were you on that one, dipshit? Yeah, great, wow. great player. You know, kind of a late bloomer, I guess, from an actual win. Has been had a bunch of leads this year. Been up there a bunch the last couple of years. Had a great amateur record. Gets it done. Uh, Seventeen under par. That's pretty deep at Innisbrook. I feel like typically that's like a single digit. You know, nine, ten, maybe twelve under wins that event, but. Now, granted, he did win by what three or four, three over Keegan. So it wasn't like everyone was up there in the uh, the high teens. But he's Snake always drive. been a been a good driver of the golf ball, great putter. You know, he's kind of lacked a little bit some of his stats if you look in iron play and around the greens. But um, yeah, what were your thoughts, guys? Uh, I watched Sunday afternoon, and 
it went from a a very close golf tournament real quick to unfortunately Sam Burns was just out there. I feel bad for Keegan Bradley because I, I I pulled for him for a long time. I used to work for one of his sponsors, and I like the guy. It's one of those things where when he when he hit it in the water and was that 13 13 he hit it in the water he fatted that iron i mean it, it had to be a miss hit they said he took the longer club and he fatted it and it was short of the bunker uh i mean it was 20 yards short so it was a definite miss hit it sounded like he, it looked like he tried to really feather it too much um got out of his natural routine but it, it's unfortunate because as all of us have played a decent amount of competitive golf you don't want to see a guy go down like that you know, he he compounded each error the next couple holes, and uh, he went from tied for the lead at 17 under to three holes later being realistically out of the golf tournament. And he missed. He followed up with two short putts missed in the next four holes, two less than three footers missed in the next four holes. I mean, you talk about a guy that spent a bunch of money. I know we like to talk about that sometimes. Um, that guy spent some big money on the back nine on Sunday, and you know, you hate to see it. And, you know, I can say I like the guy. I'd feel bad at whoever it was. You, you hate to see someone collapse like that. And unfortunately, I feel like that's, that's what happened. The crazy thing about Sam Burns, I heard this stat. He was 15 under par on the par fives. He birdied three of the four par fives on Sunday, and his scoring average on the par fives this weekend went down. Or went up, excuse me. Because he was 12 under through 12 holes through three rounds. And then sounds like Jay. I mean, that is back taking advantage. Jay, back in, I'm all over Dr. Seuss tonight. This is like Jay <laughs> back in the day. Seriously, though, like, I mean, that that says, I mean, I, I don't know. It depends <laughs> on the golf course and what have you. But um, Jay, go, because I, par fives, people like you who can launch it and see them, you know, as breakfast, you know, I, what is the mindset when you step up to a par five? No. Yeah. I think most par fives, unless it's a, a strange par five where everyone has to hit the same club off the tee. Like if it's a dog leg or, you know, there's water down at the bottom and everyone has to hit the same club off, off the, off the tee and they hit to the same kind of landing area. And then hit, I, I, I'm not a fan of those holes. Um, I, I agree. I, I think any par five that you can't hit driver on is a shithole. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't really love those holes. Now, if you want to make the fairway really narrow and you yeah, that's make, right. Give you want to add some trouble and and try to you know entice a guy like risk reward. I love those holes because Great. hey, if I'm driving the ball really well and I can hit my driver 300 yard, 320, and I can hit it on a rope, and you only give me 10, 15 yards of fairway. And if I want to take that risk, then then that's great, you know. So I, I I don't anytime they 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 limit a guy to where he has to hit a certain club off the tee. I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of that. So I, I just think that uh and I agree. Let me let me yeah rephrase what I said. I totally agree with you. All right, keep going. Yeah. No, but to your point, like typically when I, I look at, you know, and a lot of, a lot of these long guys now, I mean, I'm not long like, like Finau and, and Bryson and DJ anymore, but they look at that hole. They're like, Hey, I, I'm as long as anybody out here long or longer. I'm going to hit, this is, I should have the best opportunity to make birdie on these holes. So as long as I'm getting close to the hole, they all have decent and, uh, or above average short games. 
I'm going to hit my driver 320. I can hit my three wood 280. There's not a par five that I can't, that I can't go for. You know, the Sam Snead, you know, we love Sam Snead here, but he always said, if, if I don't have a, an iron into a par five and there's trouble, then I'll lay up. So if he's got two back then, if he had 220 and he wasn't able to hit an iron, he was like, all right, you know what? And there, and there was trouble around the green. When I say trouble, I mean like hazard or out of bounds, he would lay up. And that's, and I, I think that's always kind of a cool, you know, rule of thumb, at least enough to make you think about what you're doing here. Like where, where's, where's the advantage? Yeah. Yeah. He always said, he's like, if I have an iron into a par five, I'm hitting, I'm hitting it every time. I don't care if there's hazard out of bounds. If I have an iron in my hand, I'm going for the par five. If I've got a wood, or a five wood or something like that. I really have to really take a second look and evaluate how close the trouble is. And, and then I can and make a good assessment uh, on the risk reward. But most of the time you're better off hitting, getting as close as you can to the par five, because as good as these guys, and this is the pro level or the top amateur level. Most of the time you're better off hitting your driver, hitting your three wood and getting as close as you can to the hole. Um, Unless there's an absolutely strange, you know, pin like really, really tucked behind a bunker or something really strange, um, but I mean, you look at uh, Ben Crane did that that assessment, and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that one he always used to lay up to his wedge distance, um, which they taught forever. Um, but at the pro level, he decided one year he's like, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit everything I can and get as close as I can to the hole. Uh, and his scoring average on the par fives went down like three or four tenths of a stroke. Really? Opposed to laying up to his and sweet As opposed to laying up to his wedge distance. Wow, that's pretty interesting. That's so cool. you take these guys, again, I, I know we're talking about, you know. We're talking about at that level. We're, we're talking about professionals and top amateurs. So, again, I understand. And, Mike, you can comment on this. You know, there is a there is a, a segue, you know, to the to that, you know, five to 15 handicap where you're, yeah, you are better off laying up and having that wedge distance because some of these players at that five to 10, 15 handicap, they're going to hit that 50 yard wedge shot and they may hit it four times before they get on the green. So that's not an advantage. Right. Um, but for the guys I, on the PJ tour, it, yeah, like it, I'm a pretty, I, I, I'm a pretty decent amateur player. And I don't, the last thing I want is a 50 yard wedge shot for the love well, of God. Please yeah, don't ever give me yeah, one. <laughs> Don't give me that shot. <laughs> well, it, it brings I'm gonna, back a th- two things are going to happen. I'm going to hit it seven yards. I'm going to hit it 175 <laughs> yards. <laughs> well, you know, I Wait. think that's that's part of the strategy. Because I'm a though. hack. I'm, uh, I'm, you're talking at the tour level, those guys are so good around the green, is what but, you're saying, right? But even though uh, he's guys, absolutely correct. And I can remember actually, and we've talked about it before, uh, Tom, we know Jim, Jimmy Hamilton. Um, I used to work with Jimmy when I was uh, trying to play minis, trying to play the Hooters tour. And one of the things he would tell me, and I, he was so correct because I, I tried to employ that same strategy. I'm going to lay up to a comfortable distance. And Jimmy kind of looked at me and goes, uh, on tour, there are no uncomfortable distances. You get as close to the hole as possible. Yep. The, the best players in the world are, are not – they are comfortable at every distance. They want it as close to the hole because the closer they get to the hole, the better chance they feel like they have to get it close to the hole. And since, since learning that I've employed that, it forced me to become better in that 30 to 70 yard range. Yeah. Um, I'm also lucky that for the past couple of years, I got to spend a lot of time on a driving range. 
um, hitting those 30 to 70 yard shots. Mikey's still probably replacing divots that I took there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I probably, you should probably put some sand on my account just to kind of cover but, that. Yeah, we got a paddle but, sod on there. Think no, about I, it. I saw it. Don't worry, I, I saw it. Yeah. Think I, I, about it I was wondering way. what that charge, I hadn't been there in months. Suddenly an $80 cheap. charge comes through. What is this? So if you and, and, and McLean, you could probably pull these stats up since you're, you're an expert at that. But if you pull the stats up for these guys from, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 yards, their proximity to the hole. And then you pull their stats up from, you know, 90, 100, 110, 115, 120. You pull the stats up and see the proximity hole. The, the guys hit it closer from 30, 40, 50, 60 yards. Now, yeah, I, occasionally I, you're going to get a bad lie or you're going to get a bad pin, but the odds are in your favor to get it closer to the hole because you have more control. It's a shorter shot. And the, you know, the guys can spin the ball. They have, they, it, it's just easier, you know, and in the grand scheme of things, in the overall sense of what they're doing, it's easier to get it close to the hole. I and see. they can, they can gauge that they can gauge the situation too. So say, say you hit a, a, a three driver, three, when you have 30 yards and you get up there, and you got a bad line, the pin is tucked behind a bunker. And you're like, you know what? I can't really press this. I'm going to just make sure I cover my distance hit it pin high or maybe a little beyond, and then they end up hitting it 15 feet. How many times have you laid up to your perfect wedge distance and hit it to 25 feet? And you're like, well, I was 110 yards. I hit it 25 feet. But it be, it's because you're 110, 15 yards out. You, you, you know, deep well, down, you know you're not well, hit it to five feet every time. Let's see if I can find it. I sent you that that image a couple of weeks ago, Jay, the tour pros from 100 yards. Mm -hmm. All right, so from 100 yards, tour pros, here it is, from the fairway. The average, feet. average proximity is 18 feet, five inches. Yeah. Right. So, and, I, and I'm, I'm under the whole hit it as close to the green as you can for my amateurs too. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Their, their full swings aren't very good. I'd rather than make a half swing with something hit to the uh, fat uh, of the green and make it, they're going to hit it closer from 30 yards. Yeah. They don't have the touch and the feel and the, and the spin control, but they shouldn't be worrying about that. They should be just trying to get it as on the green, right? They're going to shake it and they're going to duff it from a hundred making a full swing as they are from 30. So for them, yeah. get it as close. It's no different on the green. Like what, what, what's the highest percentage to make your putt from 20 feet or from 10 feet? I mean, duh, it's, it's 10 feet. It's closer. You know, I mean, I don't care. You can create these narratives in your head. Like, well, I'm a better putter from 10 feet because, you know, I don't have the expectation that I have to make this five footer. Okay. Whatever. You can no, tell you whatever you want. The percentages You're going to make percentages say. You're going to make more putts from five feet than you are from 10 feet. You may not feel comfortable and you may feel like a jackass when you miss the five footer because all your playing partners expect you to make it. That's one thing, but odds are you're going to make more of those five footers than you are the 10 footers. Well, yeah, most, most amateurs have false understanding, false expectations of things, and they get these false narratives in their own head about what's mm -hmm. actually happening. If they were to do a deep dive on their stats and kept them all, yeah, you're, you're going to make way more five footers or just know their yeah. game. Like I, I played Sunday and my, I had, my partner was a 20 handicap. Let's say, um, I think he said he was a 16, but you know, good luck with that. Anyway. Um, hope he's listening. So <laughs> my point is that like those guys, like if I had like spent time and coached him around, you know, like which none of us want to do. Cause it's, it'll, it, you know, kill you. But like, there's, I do it. I get paid to do it though. Uh, well, I'm in, in the in around in a gambling round, right? Well, oh, so he's okay. not part of it. Like, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're between a 15 and a 20 handicap, 
you're pissing away shots every hole on just nut like just knucklehead stuff, right? So when it like the last like five holes, when it you know kind of the money we you know was kind of a little important, um, I really kind of got engaged. And every shot he had the wrong club, every putt he had the wrong re- like. I'm just, and I'm not knocking yeah. him because he's a stud athlete. This guy I'm talking about played, you know, he's 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 a he knows what he's doing, but golf's a little foreign to him. Um, so my point is that like how many? So this is just one one you know instance. How many of those people that fall in that <clears throat> range do that every day? They play. Oh, yeah. I would That's say like, probably ninety five percent of them. You know, right? we they just we don't talk, know how to play the game. We talk a lot about you know the tour guys, and it's about hitting the ball solid. And yes, the amateurs don't hit it solid. But again, I he think had I a sixty degree wedge. He had a sixty degree wedge. Mike, I told him, I was like, I'm gonna break this over my knee. Or you're going to break it over your knee. Well, yeah, somebody's it, going to break this club because you have no business owning a 60 degree wedge, right? So, to, to me, the low hanging fruit. If <laughs> if a student came to me and said, "Mike, give me a year of instruction, but I'm going to be completely in your hands," I would do maybe 20 percent of my lessons on full swing. There you go. 25 course management and course short management game. and short game. Yeah, and just learning how to play game. The, don't that don't learn how to play the rest of the swing. game, right? If yes. you can chip and putt, if you understand the fundamentals of chip and putting and not just being good at it, but understanding why the ball does this or why the ball doesn't do that, it can it moves into the rest of the game. I, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I agree. I agree with how the ball is going to react out of different lies. Um, yeah. That goes back to that course management side of things. But I, I mean, I can remember working with a buddy of mine who was a really good junior player, went to play at Francis Marion and. He didn't totally understand it. I mean, he's a left-handed guy. He had the left-handed gift that every swing looks fantastic. I mean, his swing is his yeah. swing is um, technically just phenomenal. And he looked at me one day, and I, I kind of told him, and he, he looked at me sideways. I said, you know how to hit a ball as good as anyone, but you have no clue how to play golf. And he looked at me sideways like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I, I showed him, for example, I remember being on 18 at this course and he grabbed a club and I was like, no, take the nine iron, hit it at 75%. This thing's going to come out jumpy and you need to try to control the spin. You don't want to swing full on this shot. He hit it and it did exactly what we thought it was. And it, he he kind of turned. It was like he saw a light bulb go off. A year later, he texts me, he goes, I finally understand what you meant by that. He was going through his first year of college golf and he realized his name Jacob Morris. Jacob, if you're listening, hello, hello. Um, hey, God, what up, man? He, he, he's graduating Francis Marion University this year, um, Florence, South Carolina. Uh, good boy. Love, love everything that he does. Um, this kid also, just to give him a little bit of help here, he recently, this ought, to, this ought to be something that we should try to convince him on what he should do. He texts me recently. He goes, hey, I made a 16-whatever on my LSAT. I got into... NYU, UCLA, USC, uh, all these incredible programs. He's like, I'm thinking about going into sales. And I'm like, no, sales are for guys like me without that great degree. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you will fall into a million dollars if you take a, a law degree from University of Southern California or you take a law degree from NYU. Like You're going to accidentally fall into a million dollars. He did give me a great rebuttal that I give him a lot of credit for. He goes, I don't know that I want to go into $125,000 worth of debt at my age. That is the fairest argument I've ever heard of. Getting back to what we're going with, um, 
he came back to me. He said, I finally get what you were saying. Working with his golf coach, he understood that reading lies, course management, understanding how to actually score versus just how, how to hit a golf ball are two different things. Well, they don't, that's going back to what we're saying a little bit. Yeah, they don't understand conditions either. I did a few playing lessons Absolutely. this winter, and we were on a hole on, on the back nine at the foundry, and my player had 135 on the thir- 13th hole at the foundry. So it's uphill. That day it was into the wind, and it was 55 degrees. And I said, what club do you have? I forget what he what he had exactly, but I said, well, what's that? How far do you normally hit that? He goes, that's like 140, 145 yards. I said, hit your 160-yard club. He's like, well, I only have 135 yards. I said, we're uphill. We're into the wind, and it's 55 degrees. There's no way this golf ball is going remotely close to 160 yards if you hit your 160-yard club. People just don't grasp what the conditions actually do to a golf ball. So one a good rule of thumb right. with that is uh, uh, for every three degrees below 70, it's one yard that you need to account for. So – you know, say it's 61 degrees out and you need to knock off three, three yards of, of your distance to account for the, the weather, how the ball is compressed in, in 61 degrees versus 70 degrees. And then I think there is also another tail end of that. If you get above like 85 to 90 degrees, the ball compresses even more and flies even further above that. So that's kind of the standard 70 to like 85 is kind of your yardage. That's when the ball flies pretty, pretty standard. But when you get above 90, 85, 90 up to a hundred, now the ball will fly a little further than it normally will because it's you're able to compress it a little bit more. Jaybird, how many players on tour, especially in the top hundred on, you know, in the world, pay attention to that every single one. Well, probably uh, if, right? if they have if they close. have good if they have good caddies. Say, if they don't, their caddy knows it. Yeah. If they don't, saying, they like, probably don't know it's it. So cool. They probably don't know it. But I'm sure if you're a top 100 player on tour, you've got a great caddy who. And that's what's that's what's cool about. I'm I'm a big fan of caddies on tour. Like if you get the right team member, I mean it's a it is a team. I understand that the 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 player is it's an individual sport and the players, the one that signs a scorecard, but and I understand that, but you know, does Tiger Woods win 14 majors uh, without Stevie? I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Tiger was the most talented guy on the planet, but Stevie is, I mean, Damn. if he's not the best caddy of all time, then what was Adam Scott doing before he came back? Remember, I remember um, when that was, that was the, that was the whole reason. Greg that, Rita, that, Greg Rita, I mean, Greg Rita yeah. caddied for Greg Norman in his prime. He caddied for my dad in his prime. He caddied for John Daly in his prime. He caddied for Scott Hoke. Remember when Scott Hoke had that stretch of like three years where he, like, that's not a fluke. That is oh. that is like the real deal. You're good. And, I mean, you have to be, you have to understand the game. You have to be, I tell you what, you really, if you're a good caddy, you have to be a, you have to be a damn psychologist. Yeah. You know, you have to understand and people. You have to understand how they think, how they react to certain situations, and you have to adjust and, and accommodate accordingly to make sure that these, you get the most out of these players, say the right thing at the right time. And there's some guys who have it, um, and there's some guys who maybe know the X's and O's but don't have that personality and they can't connect uh, mentally. But but back to your point, I mean, Mike, if, if these guys, if they've got good caddies, or Tom, I think you asked me. Sorry, if, if they've got good caddies, then all of these guys account for that stuff. Now, 
you know, to that, to that point, rarely do they play below 70 degrees. <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, typically the, the guys are playing in, you know, perfect weather. That's the way they do their schedule. You're always in nice weather and, you know, that's understandable, but if they've got a good caddy, yes, they are. I think they are adjusting for that. All right. So on that, and I don't mean to get off topic too much and, and go down a rabbit hole, but I think that's a great conversation point. Like, what if we took caddies? What if they all had to carry their own bag? No range finders. Well, you know, screw that. Give them a range finder, carry their own bag, go play. What, like, how does it shake out? What, like, where would we see? And it's hard to say, all right, last week, week before, but like, I think there's events. I think the Masters would be a, a shit show. I think, there, I think we would see a big shakeup in certain events. I think British Open would be a shit show. Yeah, totally. I think uh, you're just gonna, you're gonna lose guys all that. You're gonna lose guys all that local knowledge, and you're gonna like lose- Webb Simpson. How would Webb do? How would Jordan Spieth do? These are the first two guys that come to my mind, just because their caddies are so involved in their every shot they hit. Yeah, and then there, and then the flip side is that like a Dustin Johnson, he'd still be number like one in the world. Bro- uh, Dustin Johnson, <laughs> Dustin Johnson would be. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. I so say I don't think his. Bro- I think Austin is. He's just a reassurance. I think his brother's a great caddy. Don't get me wrong. When he first put his brother on the bag, all of us, don't lie, we all were like, what? But um, that's what gets him in the right – he feels comfortable with his brother. It gets but I'm him saying, right like, mindset. he would yeah. – if, if, if they all had to pick it up and put it on their shoulder themselves, I think Dustin would dominate. I think I think Justin Thomas would be pretty good. Um, I think, like, I think Jordan Spieth and, and Webb would be perfectly fine because they're – you know they're they're professionals. Are you sure, Tom? No. <laughs> well, I think, but I think can, it goes can Jordan Smith still breastfeed? If, if he can do that, then I it goes higher in my know. rankings. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if either of those boys, because I like Paul Tesori. I can't. You know, I I, I think very highly of him, so I can't say anything bad about. Um, I don't know Michael Greller. So sorry, Michael, but screw you. Um, I think just nice you got his name. Right. I think Michael Greller. Whatever he's making is he is he's underpaid to deal with that. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those things that you know, if you have someone who is comfortable doing their own thing. So like you're exactly right. Austin Johnson is like Kessler Corain for Patrick Reed. They don't have a, a huge golf background, but they both I mean Austin arguably does, but long story short, God. I said I wasn't gonna say got it. it. You got it. It's yes, a, we got one. We got one. I said it wouldn't happen. I you, said I'm. I'm sorry. You, you I owe us all twenty. Everyone involved. I'm gonna be better. You owe us all we twenty group, bucks, and we're gonna move past this. We trained you out of. With that being said, so now we got to train you out of. With uh, long story short, with that being said, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it comes down to who you are and who you need. So like Patrick Reed and Dustin Johnson don't need some golf mind to loop their bag and give them everything that they need. They have the ability to read greens. They're comfortable getting yardages. They're comfortable doing everything. They need that reassuring force, exactly what Tom said. Whereas a lot of other players out there, especially a young player, they need that course knowledge for a lot of these venues. Whereas some of these other guys, especially that have it like Webb, yeah, sure. You can argue that his first couple of years, he might not have that experience. I'll take Webb on any golf course any day of the week because I promise you he has the experience. He, he's an animal he's a lot he, tougher than people think he is. Oh, he's, he's way tougher than everyone thinks he is. He, he's he's, he's an animal. He, you talk about a gritty individual. I mean, he, he does not like losing and he he's used to winning often and he's friggin good at it. 
Um, did you guys like that? I I, I subtly threw in a freak cut back it. on the f bomb. Working on that. We're gonna move forward. Let's go. So long story short, God, I did it again. I hate myself. Um, if you're able, if you're one of those players that is that just needs that comfort factor. I agree with you. You can remove a lot of the caddies. They're not doing that much for those guys from a technical aspect, but there are some guys out there that do a lot for their caddies. And don't ever get me wrong. I was never saying get rid of caddies. Like I love. Oh, never. Absolutely. No, no, no. I'm not saying get rid of them at all, but I I do agree with you that there's a different level and there's certain guys that when you have a Dustin Johnson or a Patrick Reed that have family members on the bag that just, offer reassurance versus guys that need that technical aspect. It's a totally different animal. Yeah. All right. So caddies, by the way. Yeah, Tom, you got to be careful when you, when you give an opinion, sometimes McLean will think that the power should be your changing rules like the whole arm lock ban. That's really not a ban because no one's talking about it. You know what? Okay. So now that we're talking about, no, I'm kidding. kidding. All right. So way, way off, way off topic, but to kind of bring this back to one of our next topics was, so Sam Burns was the winner here at Valspar. Told you guys he would win. Thank you. Yep. But, and you have mentioned this, I think before in the podcast, maybe this was off air one night, Tom, he was one of the biggest snubs in recent history for the Walker cup, which is taking place this weekend going to be aired Saturday and Sunday on Golf Channel, I think, or maybe Golf Channel and NBC at Seminole. Oh, the Seminole. Boys. So I'm going to hand the stage over to you, Tom, because you're, you're a big Walker Cup guy, big, or again, our amateur golf guru here. Is uh, this is this our time for some strains? Yeah, perfect. I can do this. A little time together. Let's be good. All right, perfect. We need, we need a little jingle to lead into time for some strains. Yeah, we need right. something. Let's work Mike, on that. Mike will get that. Mike will get that. Ready to go. Yeah, go. sure. Go. Yeah, we got nailed it. Do, 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 I thought we were going to lay out for so some put strange. It sounded a little bit like the Doug cartoon. Um, every wow. part of that was Did you just bring back Doug. I felt strange doing it, but now it's out there. I felt strange just watching and listening. So let's let's hey. move past it. Yeah. Welcome to Thanks. my life, boys. We will regroup. Um, so I, I want to say first things I'm going to say about this. I think it's awesome that Seminole Golf Club is doing this because um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very elite and they're very proud to be elite and they, they, sh- you know, shot away from any kind of publicity or any spotlight for a long time, other than their little pro-am thing they do. Um, so I give them credit for that. I, I tell them all good luck. I, and I say that to the, uh, to the, all the amateurs playing, because from what I've heard it's going to be a challenge. To say the least, uh, they're gonna set up really hard. These boys better uh they better hit it really solid. That's all I'm gonna say. Cause you know, a groove low or a groove high is not gonna work at Seminole coming up. Cause yeah. it, they, they you gotta fall. be so precise there where you're placing the ball well, around. And, and if, and if the wind runs into a bunker, the greens are so turtle back. Um, I mean, unlike anything you've seen before, and there it's it's subtle at times, right? You you really don't think there's a slope there, but yet. You hit a you hit a seven iron and you you kind of posing. Oh, I hit a good shot and you kind of walking up and next thing you know that little sucker is rolling into a bunker. So that's one thing. But um, I think um, back to what you're talking about, Sam Burns. Yeah, so Sam was a big snub uh, in my opinion, which means nothing. But I think he should have been on that Cup team a few years ago. But he's obviously uh, just you know 
cashing a big check this week, so I, I don't think he's really worried about the Walker Cup. But um, but anyway, so yeah, Walker Cup amateur golf is, is a pretty special. This is the pinnacle. I walk. I mean, Walker Cup's like making the Olympics, you know, for an amateur golf. If if you can make that analogy, which maybe you can, maybe you can't. But uh, I, and I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see. I'm I'm interested to see. Y'all think I'm crazy, but where they put the cameras yeah. for some of these holes because some of these greens are so diabolical. It's hard to really get a grasp of it if you're not there. So I hope they were able to capture some of that. Um, I mean, I could. That's go, a I mean, good point. I mean, that's. A, I mean, obviously, the first hole. The first hole. These guys are might drive it on the first green. It's gonna be that, but like the guys will drive it on the front fringe and make bogey. Like that's yeah. kind of that's kind of hole it is. That's. It that, seems like it's gonna be an awesome cool. match play golf. Course. I think it'd be that's perfect cool. for match play. Yeah, it's a great match play golf course. The U.S. The US team is full of some studs. Um, like we, if we lose, if we don't win by a hundred, like it's a shame. Like nobody should beat us. I mean, right the now. entire team, all top ten, are ranked in the top twenty-three of the world amateur rankings. That's not like I keep track of this every every time they has a Walker Cup, but that seems pretty damn good to me. Well, come on, those are fantastic rankings, and we've seen rankings and some of these kids, like that and the Ryder some of these guys Cup. are studs. We've we've seen rankings like that in the Ryder Cup before. Let's call it what it is, boys. The Europeans are really good at coming together in team events. Their camaraderie is fantastic. Not so much in this I, event, though. I, I get that. I know that we have a, a glowing record, and I'm obviously pulling for us. All I'm saying is let's not totally discount them because we've seen we've seen what their camaraderie has the ability to do. Brother, there's no course. East of Florida, that is anything like Seminole, like that these these guys have ever played before. So if it's not if it's not in Bermuda, we're good. Yeah, correct. That's what I'm saying like these like these kids. I'm talking these these guys. He's talking about in the UK. I'm talking about the UK. Like these guys have never like the kids that are playing over here. You know, playing on the states and college and stuff, which most of them are. Um. So they they get a little bit of it, but like if they haven't spent any, I mean, it's just it's gonna blow their minds. It'll be fun to watch. Hey, it'll Tom, be a great event. It'll be fantastic seeing Seminole televised again. Yeah. Obviously, that place doesn't get it. I mean, for those that are in the know, it gets all the all the you know accolades that are out there. But I don't think in the public eye it gets out there enough. You can make the same argument about a Pine Valley. Um, I think it's fantastic anytime we can put some put some light on these courses to where it opens it up and it makes it a little bit more accessible to the public. And I think it only furthers the reputation uh, of, of these type of facilities. So I, I think it's really cool as a glimpse yeah. into ultimate private golf well, or the, or the mystique of these, these ultra exactly. private clubs that you've never had a chance to see. Cause there's rare, yeah. you, don't, you can't hardly see any pictures of the place. No, they won't show so, you. And here's the, show both you. of those. Well, when when your member owns Google, they they cut everything off. Yeah, I'm not but saying like, that. Here's, guy's here's a the thing on, on Seminole and Seminole and Pine Valley, for that matter. Like, it's it's um, like they're not. The condition is 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 great. Let's be honest. Like, it's perfect. The greens are perfect, but it's not Augusta like, or it's not. I mean, Kenlock. In in all honesty, is is I've played Kenlock twice. And both times it was in better condition than Seminole and Pine Valley when I played them. And I've played both Seminole and Pine Valley a bunch in, in the Coleman and the Crump. But um, 
it's not about the condition. It's just about the. Well, those the styles whole. are completely different than what. Uh, exactly. Right. It's, it's not. They, they don't want it to be perfect. Like they want firm it, and fast. Firm yes, and fast. And brown. Front, exactly. So you exactly right, Mikey. So it's it's um that's that's the goal. And firm and fast is firm and fast is hard. Yes, it's hard. I mean, you, your dad was on this show on our ghost episode. Why do we always have to fucking bring that up? I mean, it was. It it was why is it the ghost it episode? Was podcast again? I gold. I forget the greatest no, episode he, ever. He talked. He did talk about that. He was just. He we we actually talked about it in the previous episode that he was on. But he said, "If you want to make things tough, and you guys are all great players, you play in high level tournaments. If you want to make it hard, when is the hardest round of golf that you can think of? When the fairways were really narrow, or the rough was really thick, or it was really windy." or the greens were really firm. Like it's, it's simple as it. when the ball won't things, stop. The what ball won't it, stop. The ball won't stop. You can't like get it close to the hole. When you can yeah. spin it and the ball stops, you have control. You can get it close to the hole. When the when when you have rough or you have wind, you lose spin and you you lose control. So again, that's that's what it comes down to. I mean, and and, and when you play golf courses like that, like I've never played Pond Valley, but you know, when they have it firm and fast and, and there's not a whole lot of rough out there. It's either are you hitting the fairway? You're hitting this in the in the sand. Are you hitting the junk? You know, in the thick, and it, it that's it. Like you don't. There's no options. It's not like you can save it out of the thick rough and you know hack something out. It's like oh, I'm chipping out sideways if I can find it. Um. So, what I don't. Well, I think I, that's fun. What I what I hope doesn't happen at Seminole is what happened a little bit at the USAM. What two years ago at Pinehurst? Two years ago is that right, guys? Yeah. So anyway, right. we, yeah, we that sounds right. Um, so me and my middle son went down there and we watched the entire final round. And they played Pinehurst number four in the morning, which is, I mean, it's still a phenomenal golf. Phenomenal course. Like, golf course. I mean, there's people that think it's better than four. I'm sorry, there's people four think is better, it's better than two. Than two. Yeah, no, that's four is the Fazio. Is that right? Yeah, the redo. The, no, the redo of Gil. Gil Hans, right? Oh, Gil Hans. That's right. Yeah, Eight is the and, and arguably it's up there with two. It really is. It's up there with two. Two's better. Two's better. You think four is better? I think four is better. I'm going to say it. Right I now. love four. I love four. I guess two has that history. So you automatically think that's what your mind's, especially if you grew up in North Carolina, that's what your mind's trained to think. But four is fantastic. I, my high school uh, state championship, I got to play four and two. No and way. For high school. Would you rank? Hey, yeah. would you guys rank it? Two four eight or four two eight. Four two eight. Four two eight is absolutely correct. Um or two four eight. It's two yeah, four eight or four way. two eight. How do you eat those, are the, four, those are the three best courses in Pinehurst? In the Pinehurst well, rotation. Well, no, 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 no. At the resort. The Pinehurst at the resort. Umbrella. At the resort. Because yeah. you throw in CCNC Dogwood, yeah. you throw yes. in Forest Creek. So, no, uh, pine needles, mid pine. pine needles, mid pines. There's some other golf courses out there for me. I tell I you the new one, uh, the new gym's going to Southern Pines Golf Club's going to be Southern Pines Golf Club's going to be fantastic. Yeah, They're going to do a big reno right now. I don't know that anything goes in front of two. No, somewhat because of the history, but also because it's a fantastic golf course. Let's be very clear. It is a fantastic golf course, but and I'm going to take, I'm going to backtrack. I must put two back in front of four. I'm gonna say that you're right. I think it is. I think it is, and and you can easily argue, Tom, that some of the history is part of that. 
but it is still a fantastic golf course. Four is the closest thing to two in Pinehurst. Okay, so this is we're going to transition. We're going to do this a little later on, but we're going to do this right now. So one, for everyone, watch the Walker Cup this weekend. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to watch it. I'm actually a bachelor this weekend. No, no wife or kids. So I'm going to watch a lot of golf this weekend. It'll be awesome. Nice. So watch the Walker Cup. Great event. Great golf course. But we also want to talk about golf course rankings since we're having a little debate here. So Golf Digest can't just came out with today. They're you know top 100, actually the top 200. They call it then the second 100. I actually think Golf Magazine came out with their top 100 courses you can play. This happened to be the same day, the same week. What do you guys think of these rankings? Are do you trust these rankings? Are they just commercialized? Are they bought? Are they? Do you trust the raiders that are doing this? Who's doing this? Thoughts, uh, McLean. All right, so I trust Golf Digest more than I trust some of the localized. It, it baffles me. So I'll say this. There's a list in my home state that is absolutely irrelevant. The NC Golf Panel, the North Carolina Golf Panel, is horrible. If you look at their rankings, it is atrocious. They rank their system based off of who welcomes them in, who gives them the ability that they can call up and say, hey, I'm part of the North Carolina golf panel. Can I get in for free? And can you treat me like I'm somebody? It, it, it blows my mind. Dude, because you they're Raiders. We all know the Raiders. Mikey, no. you know the Raiders when they come out, right? Oh, my God. It's so awful. It frustrates everyone. Anyone that's anyone that knows golf in North Carolina laughs every time the North Carolina golf panel th throws their list up because it, it proves they so Wade Hampton for example is in the top 30 in the country North Carolina golf panel which makes it by the way that makes that number one in the North Carolina uh golf ranking you, big boy Look on you. on the North Carolina golf panel it's like 12th because they don't welcome them in with open hands. They don't They don't welcome them. Oh, you're from the North Carolina golf rankings. Yeah, absolutely. We should treat you like one of our members that paid $200,000 initiation fee. We should treat you like, we should treat you like you're, you're a property owner. We should treat you like you're the, you're the cat's pajamas because you got selected to rate golf courses for a North Carolina golf publication. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. I'm not saying the golf digest ranking is much better than that. But as far as I'm concerned, they're the predominant force when it comes to ranking golf courses. And they're the only place that I actually go to. I, I would I would back off of a lot of golf media. But when it goes to the rankings, they, in my honest opinion, Golf Digest is the most honest about everything that they see. Tom, go. No. Tom, go. All right. So this is this is this is actually such a great conversation. We could do a whole episode. I could this. go hours on this. But like, all right, so Jaybird. Jay, all right. So, like, from a golfing standpoint, state of Virginia, best your favorite course to play, and then and then I want that one, and then I want the one that like so your favorite course to play, and the one that you think is the most ma majestic. You know, yeah, that one of yeah that. Well, that's, you're putting me in a really really tough spot here. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry, he put him in a really uh, tough spot because we want to keep our buddy in mind over here. Yeah, no, played. you can't. You can't offend me. What on? Yeah. You want to? Yeah, I've played. Some time? I've played a lot of. I mean, I played a bunch of them. So See, I mean, I've, I, but, I, hold on. I, 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 on that, like Mikey, like Mikey, like you, you like 
the foundry is it's 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 an experience it's a phenomenal golf course but it's also experience that ties into it so anyway finish jack yeah no you're, you're exactly that, that that's i mean i could if you break them down into categories um you know the foundry has got one of the most uh you know immaculate beautiful settings on uh, the putting green the 18th hole that i mean the clubhouse that that the, the structure is from you know 1840s am i right 1816 18 yeah i mean it's almost i mean it's 200 years old it's hot I mean, as shit too that's that's crazy i didn't realize i didn't realize it was 1816 but but i mean every day that i get a chance to play there and i'm you know i i try i try to you know space it out because um you know it, it's, a, it's such a nice place and i, I spread it out but Every day that I'm there and I stand on that 18th green at the foundry and you look back at that clubhouse and you look at the creek and you look at the, the putting green, um, it's one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. So my, you know, I've got some great ties with the foundry golf club. It, it you know, opened in 1990 and I caddied out there in the early nineties, uh, not for very long because I realized that I love playing golf more than I like caddying, but the the golf course is absolutely beautiful. I love the lay of the land. It's it's there's just not a whole lot of places like that in in our area. So, and with that clubhouse, like you mentioned, Mike, two hundred years old. I mean, it's, there's not places yeah. like that in the country left. It, it's it's really it's really is incredible that 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 we we're so close to a place like that. But I, I did grow up playing at the public course. I worked there. I did worked every you know position there but i uh you know whether it's carts and you know in the snack bar what have you but it's a fun golf course that i love and i mentioned you know your your dad tom he he played there with sam sneed um and lanny watkins as an opening you know uh, opening match there uh to, to kind of set the set the set the standard there and it was for, for a long time there mill quarter plenty was one of the longer longer places uh, longer courses in in Virginia at right at seven thousand yards in the early seventies. That was a pretty long golf course. Um, so I love those two courses because that's what that's what I'm used to playing. Um, but if you really look at some of the other courses in the area, and and we're from Richmond, you know, but I mean Kenlock is an absolutely phenomenal, beautiful place, and you know there some people's you know, may have their own opinions on it, but it's what a great practice facility they have. It is. I, they've got, you know, I know it's an upscale club, but they've got really good staff there, really good people. And they're pretty, they're pretty good. They're genuine. And the golf course is always in great shape. So I, I like, I like playing that, that course as well. I mean, it's, and it's a top ranked, you know, golf course in the country, but if we really venture outside of Richmond, um, in, in Virginia, I've got well, outside of Virginia, I've got two courses. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to close, close it out real quick. Cause I could go on all day about this as we all could, but real quick. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I love Bally hack. I think that course is really, really cool. One Mikey of the, loves that. one of the coolest courses. Mikey doesn't like it, but I think the course is is one of the coolest courses that you could ever play. It's like a it's a link style golf course on the no, side of nine. Time out. How it many is. tournaments has Jake won there? That's How many not nowhere close to Lynx golf. 
days one. Dude, that two tournaments there. Okay, Jay, Jay I want to see yeah. if you. I want to see if you say that's a Lynx golf course after you come back from Bandon. No, 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 no. It is. It it and it's and it's and it's and it's, it's original inland design. Link style, though, Mike. The way that the course was designed was to be a Lynx style golf course with a, a lot of undulation, which it is. It is set up that way. Now, with that being said, McLean, they they. When we play it in this, when we played in the past five years for the state open, it's it's in the middle of July and it's soft. They have to play it soft because they're trying to keep the grass alive. But if we play it in the spring and the fall, it would be firm and fast, and you would really see. And if we played the tees all the way back, you would really see how crazy this golf course is, how many slopes, how much undulation, what you can do, how you can how you can shape your ball, how you can use the ground to your advantage. So again, I think it's it's a link style golf course with a ridge running right down the middle of the golf course, front nine, back nine, split on each side. And if it plays firm and fast, it is a link style golf course on the side of a mountain, which is not common in the U.S. It's it's a really unique golf course. And if you it haven't is, played it, it is, Jay, you should uh, go play it. And look, look, and look. you may um, lose ten balls the first time you play, but you will like it. So going back to the golf digest rating. For me, as a club professional, it is annoying as hell to get these calls from all these raiders from Golf Magazine, Golf Digest. We have a couple of those stupid little state ranking panels that you were talking about, McLean, that you have in North Carolina that I've never heard of. One of them, I won't name by name, reached out to me and they wanted to have like six tea times, bring the whole group out for free. And I was like, I'm sorry, I've never heard of you. Like the average Joe has heard of two rankings. The golf magazine rankings and the golf digest rankings. That's it, right? What was the other one? What was I'm the other gonna, one that reached I'm out? Gonna, I'm not going to name it. It was a Virginia only <laughs> ranking. And they asked but for how many times? They asked like six T times. And I'm like, no, sorry, not happening. I don't know who you are, so you're not going to. I'm not going to give golf digest six T times. So, <laughs> but so for me, it's it's annoying because I'm not sure how much I trust these yeah. rankings. Yeah. I'm not sure. Three. I'm not sure how accurate they are. I'm not sure how unbiased they are. Hey, so I, but I have to have these guys out here, right? Because people see that, right? We're, we're, I think we're number 13 best in state. The new rankings come out soon. And that's a good selling point for the club. It's, it's, it's good pride for the members to say, Hey, we're the 13th best club in the state of Virginia. So I have to have these guys out occasionally, which is, but, a, which is BS for the record. And the other thing is, too, is, so if you actually look at what Golf Digest, what's these Raiders supposed to rank on, it has nothing to do with a lot of what we just talked about. It has yeah. nothing to do with the experience, has nothing to do with the staff, the ambiance, the history. It is supposed to be strictly golf course only, right? And I don't think that actually affects, I think the Raiders put the other stuff in there. Okay, subconsciously. Just, I'm going to say this. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to say which clubs, but I know for a fact, a thousand percent, that there are certain clubs that take it very seriously. And I, I'm not talking state of Virginia. I'm talking, you know, yeah. yep. uh, across yeah. the country. We're talking flying Raiders down, private jets, like um, big meals out, whining and dining. Like there are clubs that have done this, and this is going on for years, that take yeah. it very seriously. And hence, you know, you and can take other, that for what it's worth and you can guess which clubs they are. But um, the other thing too so is what, what you're saying is Tom, that I need to sign up to be a course raider for a golf digest. Yeah, it costs you oh like a thousand God. bucks. You got to pay. I was playing. I was playing, okay. I, I was playing okay. at a club 
Each time I go play, I gotta pay, I gotta pay a thousand bucks or just a couple years ago. I was playing at a club where a raider was playing, and we had to we were aware of where the raider was on the golf course and what he was doing, and we had to and we were just a group out there playing, and we had to kind of when he came through, he was playing solo. That's they like to do that apparently, but get out of his way, and it was it was just it was the what club was this Tom? What club was this? Don't name it. Yeah, good luck with me telling you that. But <laughs> all right, text me. So, and the other the other yeah. thing, the other couple of things I have is like you're supposed to have a certain number of rankings. I think it's like seventy five. You have to have seventy five individual rankings or ratings to get in the top one hundred. Yeah, I don't think there's Augusta Nationals allowing seventy five of these raiders to come on property to do this. Yeah. I don't think Pine Valley is allowing seventy five of these ratings to come on property and do this. So Pine Valley doesn't let any of them. So it's like, so how are, are the how are they eligible for the rankings? I don't know. The course during the Crump Cup, right? So I get I get emails from Golf Digest people, or hey hey, you don't have enough ratings to qualify, so you got to get you guys need five more ratings to qualify for best in state. Well, fuck you, because Pine Valley doesn't have any ratings. I'm sorry, neither does Augusta National, but they're in the rankings. So I don't hey. get it from I don't get that part. The hey, other thing Congaree. too is I don't trust I don't trust the Raiders. I think a lot of people, how do they know what the architecture is or the, the knowledge of these guys in golf architecture, right? I think a lot of amateurs, and those what they are, most of them are amateur golfers, are swayed by conditions. And like Tom was talking earlier about yeah. a Pine Valley or a Seminole, they're not green and lush, but I think you some go to some places that are green and lush and it appears like, oh, this is an amazing golf course. The actual, actual architecture might suck. If you listen to these, these are the criteria, shot options, challenge, layout variety, distinctiveness, aesthetics, conditioning, character, fun, right? C- conditioning is one of these different criteria. Yeah. No, but I think sometimes that, that sways people. That. Sure. It, we all know it plays a deeper part in that. Anytime we go anywhere, and if it's in perfect shape, the first thing you will say was, well, how was it? Uh, layout's okay, but it was in fantastic shape so if it's not one it's number two of your thought when you play a golf course totally we all know a, cl- a club very near and dear to our hearts that is always in great shape but it's not a great layout right um but if it's always in good shape and you know the there's no pine cones around you know that kind of weirdness like it makes you go ooh ah you know you, that yeah. it's hard to disassociate condition from playability holiday um, it's just tough you know it, it you you know because you're so accustomed to playing you know top level golf courses that are in great shape you know so it's hard to it's hard to separate the two um and you know it, it, it i think we need to not we but the golf industry in general if they want to change that narrative they need to find a way to to lay that out for the amateurs and say this is why this place is good you know this is why you know, a Pinehurst number two, when they get rid of the rough and they have the, you know, the sand and the, and the, uh, the long grass, you know, off the fairway, this is, and they're not watering the, you know, the, all of the fairways and you have some brown edges. This is why it's good. Um, so I, you know, I think if, if the more that we can educate people on that and, and, and teach the architecture and, and that conditioning is not what makes a golf course a great golf course. It's, it's like you said, Mike, it's just one notch on that, on that list. It's, it's the aesthetic piece. Yes. It's fun to play a golf course. That's green. 
and it looks pretty. Um, but there's a lot of courses that look green and look pretty, but the, the, the grass on the, on the, on the, on the greens are long and the, the ball doesn't roll great on the greens. I mean, they're not, it's not the playability is not there, but they look nice. So yeah. That doesn't a, make a that good fun golf, course to play. Make a yeah. good, good, make golf a good golf course. We could, we could have a whole conversation. I'm getting ready to start the problem, but like an overseeding, uh, like, Shall to overseed or not to overseed? All right. Anyway, All right, we're not we're not doing that because we're like no, way, no, no, we're no. way we're way long. Look at Jay's show. already, already. pissed off. Um, I'm already pissed off. All right. So a lot of guys texted me this week asking about Omar Uresti. This past week was the PGA uh, Professional National Championship, which is an event held every year for what was formerly known the Club Pro Championship. You may know Omar Uresti because he played on PJ Tour for years and years and years, 300 plus events. What's causing waves is he, while he has his card, his PGA membership as a life member because of his years on the PGA Tour, he doesn't actually work at a facility. So me as a PGA of America member, I don't have life status. I must maintain at least 32 hours to keep my status. However, he doesn't have to do that. So he can just play golf and whatever he wants as a PJ professional. And some people in the industry, fellow PJ professionals, see it as him beating up on us club pros who work full-time for a living, run events, work 50, 60 hour weeks. Is that right or wrong? My my take is I think it's more of a PJ of America issue, not an Omar Uresti issue. Agreed. He he is the scapegoat for people complaining. However, he's really not the only one. You know, I, I will say he came out with some comments that didn't make him sound good. This was, goes back years ago when he first yeah. won the event. He was talking yeah. about, oh, I give free tips and I teach a couple of people on the side. It's like, okay, well, that doesn't equate to what I do every day, Omar. Yeah. So I took offense to those comments. Yeah. However, I know a lot of pros, PGA of America pros that don't put in 30 hours a week. That Yes, they may have a club that pays them a small salary to be the teaching pro or the playing pro, but they really just travel around, and play golf, and play in pro ams and that kind of stuff. So, I, I, I see both sides. I think the PGA of America needs to do a better job of saying who can play, who cannot, in in you know managing what is someone actually doing working in the golf industry versus just playing golf events. McLean, uh, go. All right, so here's my perspective on this. And my father was very much involved in this exact situation. Uh, my father was very fortunate. He played the tour in the early 80s. Uh, he actually won the CPC, which is now the National Club Pro, in 1988 at Pinehurst Number 2. Um, so he's a former champion of the event that's in question. In his home state, no big deal. In his home state of a Ricky Morton uh, owner, director of golf at Rock Creek Country Club. Um, it, it's At the end of the day, I see this a bunch of different ways. I was very fortunate. My father played on tour full time in the early 80s. He, he was, he played, uh, he, he has well over 100 starts on the PGA Tour as a club professional and as a former tour member. By no means is he on the spectrum that tom's dad is if we're if we're dad fighting tom wins every day every day but getting back to this particular subject 
I love you. I love you. No, it's it's, it's you know this is where we are. If we're going back to how the club professional championship and how how all of that is regarded, my father did win that event, and he was regarded as one of the better playing club professionals during his time. He actually played a decent amount of tour events because he won the 1988 event. He was a lifetime exemption into the CPC. So I spent a lot of my childhood at that event. I also spent a lot of my childhood at the PGA Championship because Dad had qualified for it finishing in the top 25 at that time um, got you qualified in the PGA championship. And I'll, I'll never forget one story and this will get us back on topic real quick, but I'll never forget one story where dad's hitting balls and one of his old tour buddies came up. I, I think it was calc. I, I'm fairly certain it was calc. Um, and they're shooting the shit. Cause they, they had played a bunch of practice rounds together back in the day. They were good friends when dad was on tour in the early eighties. And he said something and dad turned around to his little buddy. I ran member ladies member guests last week. What were you doing? And it's just kind of a joke. It was like, all right, as a club professional, you're still running, you know, uh, a, a golf club. You're still running a ladies member. Guest. These guys are on tour practicing and playing every day. And dad had to literally run a ladies member guest, go practice at the end of the day and try to get ready for the PGA championship that he had qualified for earlier in the year. But the, the the week prior he's running the ladies member guests while his competitors were playing in a high level pga tour event the day before um so it, it was a very different perspective between what tour pros are going with the, what omar uresti is doing if, if i'm giving my honest opinion omar the way the rules sit today omar is allowed to play he's qualified to play in that event i'm not saying that I, I think he's the right guy for it, but I'm not I, the problem. I, here's a better way of putting that. No fault to Omar. The PGA of America is at fault. The PGA is at fault. Omar should not be allowed to play in the event with these guys. My father actually did go through the coursework and became a class A golf professional through the coursework that it becomes to be a class A. So he did play in the, play on the PGA tour, but he also went through all the coursework and worked all the hours at a PGA facility as a club professional to gain membership to the PGA of America. Omar has gotten that membership without doing all the coursework. I am not faulting Omar in this. Let me be very clear. I am not faulting Omar. He has not been competitive in other tournaments that he's been able to go play. I'm not saying he's not competitive on the senior tour. We haven't seen him out there a whole lot. We certainly haven't seen him on the PGA tour. Does that, does that say how much better they are out there? It, 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 Tom, that's a very good argument. You're not, you're not incorrect. You could certainly make that argument, but will it, where it comes down to, and I put myself in Omar's shoes for a second. So let's take this all the way back and let's look at it a different direction. What's that shoe you think he wears? Just out of, uh, I don't right. know. I'm talking eight and a half. <laughs> Let's move on. Nine and a half. Hey, Tiger wears a nine and a half, and it blew me away. My Wait, no, locker, he does. It. Are you sure? My dad's me? locker at yeah, he's Valhalla, right. Valhalla is a U uh, locker room. So my dad was B, Tiger's W. Our lockers were three feet away from each other. So I was caddying for dad. And Tiger wears a nine and a half. And I was laughing like, oh, because I was like 14 wearing the same size shoe. 
Nine um, and a half. But yeah, Tiger wears like a nine oh. and a half. It, it blows my mind. That's my son wears an eight, and he's exactly, uh, exactly. But hold on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's let's get back. Let's get back to where we were. All right. So, look, Omar wasn't necessarily making. He he's played. He at, and I apologize. I'm not looking at the stats currently. If I'm not mistaken, Omar made like 2.6 million in like 500 some events. I mean, he was on tour. Can someone please fact check this for me? Please, anyone that's in front of their computer. He's not going to do it. Anyway. He played, Tom, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> so Omar has. Omar has generated a decent, he's generated good living, but he's also played a ton of events. Where this came down to is that the PGA of America awarded this status to guys that played on tour. And it's very rare. It's a very rare circumstance where you have a guy that's actually played on tour. That's actually also pursuing his PGA status. And that is also taking advantage of the fact that he's technically a class, a PGA member. Hey, McLean, Omar, your rest, he's 52 years old. He's five foot six and he has made 3.87 million, uh, in, in career earnings on the PGA tour. And how many events, Jay? Uh, I'll, I'll find that out, but that's, that's the, that's the total, the money total. No, it's it is, but, but look, look at the end of the day, 377 he's starts. Playing, he's playing against guys. Omar's done nothing but practice his entire life. Omar's done nothing but play his entire life. He's not playing against he's, I'm sorry. He is playing against guys that have, that have, that no calligraphy that they didn't need to know to play golf. He, these guys know how to put up a scoreboard. These guys know how to run a golf tournament. These guys know how to manage cart leases. These yeah. guys know how to manage inventory. These guys know how to manage vendor relations. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a litany of, of responsibilities that Omar Uresti has never even had to process. It's yeah. never even come to, it's never even come to a, a thought in his mind. I'm not negating Omar Uresti. Let me be very clear. I'm not actually faulting Omar Uresti. Omar Uresti looked at it. He was like, wait a second. I can get here. I can get in this event with these guys. Hell, I'll beat them. I'm 54, but hell, I'll beat them. I, I'm a yeah. tour player. Well, I mean. And he went right. over and cast a check. Hold on, Jay. I, I apologize. Hold on, Jay. This guy went over and cast a check. The blame is at the PGA of America. The blame is at the Tom. Tom, go go to the dentist. The blame was at the PGA of America. The blame was at the PGA. He should not have been allowed to play against these guys. There should be more. There should be more hurdles that this guy has to face. Because all of a sudden, you have a guy that practices and plays a hundred percent of his time all day, every day. All of a sudden, he's able to step out. He'll give a couple lessons here and there, but all he does is play and practice. And we, he's playing against guys that run member guests, pro-ams, sure. Sure. ladies member guests, MGA, LGA. I got to go find your, I got to go find your nine wood head cover on 13. Ladies wine and nine. I, I'm just saying, all I'm saying, guys, and all of that is fantastic. And so, the PGA pro is very enviable position. 
the they run facilities they do a great job they're they're the absolute backbone of golf but at the end of the day when you when you tell me that these guys are expected to compete at the same level at a guy that does nothing but play golf it's like boys what are we doing what, so, what are we doing mike mike what you know what is the mission statement uh, mission statement of the PGA of America i mean you you were involved with that so uh, hell if i, I mean, know yeah i mean well who asked that question well that again i mean you you have to understand like if we're going to have this this debate on whether a uh, a PGA of America player should be able to p- compete and not and not work in a golf shop or not give lessons or not do their part there's definitely there's some type of discrepancy there in terms of what the qualifications are to compete and i think as your local PGA pro i think this is may may or may or may not be right, but everyone looks at their PGA pro as the, the guy who either is giving lessons on the range every day. They're helping run the facility and uh, every different facet. So, you know, they, they have a job, their job is to run this golf course or to give lessons. So when you take a guy and again, to your comment, McLean, you take a guy, not Omar's fault. He's just taking advantage of the situation. You take a guy who does not have to do that. And you put him in a in a field where he competes against against guys who have to work. You know, it's not forty hours; it's it's sixty, seventy, eighty hours for a lot of these guys uh, on uh, in a seven day week that they have to help run a club, facilitate you know every event that's going on in that club, and make sure everything's running uh, at a top notch uh, top notch level. And all this this other guy does is just play golf. And the reason he was awarded this classification is because he spent 25 years on tour. Um, and that's that's great if that's the way they've set it up. That's the way they set it up. But if we're trying to make it a somewhat of an equal playing field, playing field, I can understand why guys would be upset about it. Shouldn't be upset about, at him um, because it's he's just playing within the rules, the PGA of America maybe should adjust that to say, Hey, if you want to maintain, it's one thing to, to be granted this status, but if you want to maintain that status, yeah, exactly. You, you should still have some type of, uh, affiliate. some sort of job. It's, some sort of job with the PGA of America or some type of club, like I said. Yeah, but doesn't he have to feel like a douchebag a little bit? Like he's got it. I mean, if probably, he doesn't, but he, yeah, he doesn't shame on him. You're right. Maybe a little bit. He probably should be like, he should reach out to the PGA of America and be like, hey, guys, why are you letting me get away with this? Yeah. But, thanks. Thanks, guys. But like, we but, need to chat. But he is making, he's making some money. So he's like, totally. Right, you, know, well, hey. you, you can never fault anybody for taking full advantage of their situation within the exactly. the, the boundaries, which the he boundaries. has done. Yeah. I but, just, I just think it's kind of, I just think it's but good. I agree. You know, with all of you guys, I think you know it's. I don't think it's Omar. I think it's maybe the PGA of America needs to you know reevaluate you know, that. that you're, Jay, you're you're exactly correct. You can't you can't fault Omar. I mean, by God, regardless of what he's made on tour, we don't know what his expenses have been like. I mean, actually, we do know what some of them have been like. If the guy made three million, he spent one on on travel. Um, yeah. You know, it, over four, over 400 events, over 400 events. Let's just call and, and I'm throwing out arbitrary numbers here, but Jay, you know what it's like. And mm-hmm. if a guy made $3 million on 400 events, I would feel like mm, seven fifty to a million of that is eaten up in travel expenses uh, between yeah, flights, hotels, food, the, the whole gamut. Um, I, again, I, 
That's a great point, McLean, that nobody ever thinks about, man. No right? one ever thinks about because we hear they, these they, contracts. They, 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 what you oh, make is what you're stacking. Like, they don't, let me just they, say this. I'll, like, you keep going, but let me just say, like, and, and because like NBA, NFL, you know, we talk like we hear these contracts, and that is money that they don't have, like, they don't have to spend to get, right? Whereas our guys have to spend to get. So anyway, go, McLean. I'm sorry. No, no, it's a good point. So on that, Tom, all of your guys in NFL when they when they travel to a to an event. Uh, or I'm sorry, to a, to a game, the the organization is paying for their flight, paying for their hotel, they paying they for their They weren't flying Delta. They weren't in 23C next yeah. to some lady with a kid. Exactly. You know, on all, of these ex, all of these expenses are, are covered on top of their their salary, on top of the guaranteed money. There's no guaranteed money on the PGA Tour unless you sign you know, some type of uh, you know marketing deal with, with someone. But majority of these guys don't have that. you you shoot what you kill, uh, and 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 you eat what you kill. I'm sorry, and and that's and that's the way that, that that's what makes it so appealing to a lot of the viewers. They're like, oh man, this guy's made it. It wasn't. There's no guarantee here, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a. It's a. It's not quite the same. So we've we've covered the Omar Uresti, um scandal in the PJ of America world. What <laughs> a bag of dicks. Let's move on to kind of what we talked about last week. The news came out of the PIP, the player impact program that the PGA tour was initiating, giving out $40 million bonus pool. Well, it comes out today, this morning that there was reports that the premier golf league uh, run by what's trying to get started by a bunch of Saudis have started to reach out to a bunch of the top guys in the world, trying to hand over $30 million was one report to DJ and Henrik Stenson and Justin Rose and, I saw one article that said, tell $100 million to Phil Mickelson to get these guys on board to come over to their league that they're trying to start, which would take them off the PGA Tour. So I think this has to go back to what we talked about last week, that the PGA Tour must have known this was coming down the pipeline. And that's why this whole thing started. They get a tip from someone saying, hey, these guys are going to start throwing money at at." you know, Rory and, and Dustin and Justin and all these guys again, you know, it seemed to get quieted down a little bit last year at the beginning of COVID. It seemed like it was going nowhere, but now it's back. So it was just kind of interesting to see. I know a meeting was called at um, Quail Hollow this afternoon, a mandatory meeting at 430 this afternoon for everyone. The commissioner was there. I'm assuming to address this, it would have to be to address all this, but um it was interesting. And, and to go to a point that you talked about last week, McLean, there also was news kind of separate today that the a bunch of money is being given to the Corn Ferry Tour to bolster their purses. So McLean was going after the PJ Tour for not giving the money to the lower tiers. Um, you know, we had said that we, we thought it was a rebuttal to the PGL, which it doesn't definitely seems like it is. But the Corn Ferry Tour is getting money as well. Anyway, your thoughts on either of those two kind of news items that hit this afternoon? Uh, quite frankly, I couldn't be happier. I'm not going to say that they were listening to me last week and they were like, oh my God, this McLean guy has it all figured out. Let's give them more money. It's, it's easy to be like, man, this guy has it. I'm glad they made that decision, but let's be realistic. Um, that's not why they did it. <laughs> There's zero. No, I don't think know. so. No. There's zero chance they know anything about me. I'm, I'm an I'm an absolute nobody. I'm actually the second in place behind the nobody. Like I'm the nobody's nobody. 
Um, with that being, God, I almost with said, that being said, Jesus. You know, they hate myself. I have to find a new transitional piece. I have to no, find at some a new point, when transitional when phase. But no, Tom, Tom, I'll let you run. But I'll no, be honest no. with you. Um, I, I'm excited to see what's happening, and I'm, I'm trying not to repeat myself. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you touched on some good stuff though last week. I mean, it does trickle down. Um, you know, if you take care of your sub- subsidiary tours, the corn ferry. And if that's a bigger a bigger ploy for people to come watch, then it, it certainly can can help bolster the the PGA Tour. But I think we talked about it last week. They're trying to protect their their clients. I mean, the, all these guys are independent contractors, so right, so they can play wherever they want. So if you want to keep these guys playing on the PGA Absolutely. Tour, you have to make the PGA Tour um, the the most desirable place to play. So if if now this you know if guys in the middle East, you know, create this tour, that's, there's way more money. I think the trick is if it's, it's not just getting one guy, if they get 10 guys, I think that makes a difference. Like if you pay Dustin Johnson, $20 million to come play over there, but he's playing by himself. You know, I, I, I do think these guys take some pride in what they do and they want to win these big tournaments. So just going over to, you know, playing in the Middle East in this Premier League for 20, 30 million, it doesn't, it doesn't give them, the, they make a lot of money as is, you know, so that doesn't give them the pride of winning, you know, some of these PG, these upscale PGA Tour events and some of the majors and so forth. So if they get 10, 15, 20 guys, then it's a problem. So I think the PGA Tour, to your comment, Mike, they're trying to combat that right away and nix it and, give these guys, these top tier guys, a little bit more incentive to stay where they are. It's not going to be quite as much money as what they're offering, but it's enough to where they're like, you know, you know, it's not enough, you know, for me to go, I'm going to, I'm going to make, you know, four more extra million, you know, based on this, um, the, what, what are they, what are they, what's the exact name for this PJ tour is giving these guys this extra, Oh, the, pip, the, the player uh, into impact purse player impact purse. So they're like, Hey, I'm going to make four or 5 million here, whatever it is. And they're going to give me, you know, 10, 15, but I'm going to play against nobody. You know, I'm not going to play in the top tier events. You know, is it worth it to do it? So they're trying to make it just relevant enough to keep these guys in the States playing in on the PGA tour. They're doing everything they can. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, blame them for for trying to do it and i don't blame uh you know the guys in the middle east for trying to create a big tour um but i think i think they'll stay i think the pj tour will do what they need to do to keep their stars um and, and they'll keep it going tom thoughts yes <laughs> wow <laughs> i'm not sure what that means but so deep um, so deep <laughs> maybe <laughs> Softening. Uh, uh, look, look, I you think, say I think so deep. Like the tour, this is all reactionary from the tour, right? Um, I, 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 I'm kind of, you know, I, I'm disgusted. Is that the right word that the tour has to be at this point? Because ultimately, in the end of the day, like the tour should be able to draw a hard line. You know, like if you want to play here, this is where it's going to be. Like I think, you know, and I think they do pretty well by their uh, by their members. Um, but yet, yeah, I mean, it is kind of something pops up like that. Something pops up, you know, this, this new thing that's the kind of off the radar, off the reservation, whatever you want to call it. It's so different. 
you have to be reactive. If you're not, then you're 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 stagnant and you're foolish, right? Yeah, they're definitely it, threatened, and that's well, why they're why they're doing this is for reaction. You know, absolutely. this is this is like kind of the first situation in a long time that we've seen the PGA Tour like uh, play with the idea of of. What, is there anything of, else that, of having contracts with these players? You know, you can be a yeah. member of the tour if you qualify. The, the PJ Tour has held all the cards here. They're like, hey, we're the ones that hold all. You know, we hold the events. We have the money. If you want to play, you qualify. For it, it is a player-run oh, association, right. though. Yeah, J- it is. J- so J- to speak, J- it is correlated, so speak, but it's it's sponsor-driven. Yeah. So the the PJ Tour correlated to a to a different sport. Yeah, exactly. So you know, with explain a, that. Make it make. The NFL or the NBA, these guys have guaranteed contracts and they have incentive-based contracts. So, but they they are tied to the the organization. They they get drafted, they sign a contract with the with the organization with the owner of the of the club, and they are tied to that club for that that extended period of time. And which is the NFL, right? Which, I mean, yeah, the NFL, the NBA, it's NFL, like Major a lot League of baseball, different sports. They yeah. all they're all like that. This is the one sport that is is an individual sport and these guys are independent contractors. They it's a weird dynamic. The PGA Tour offers them the place to play and the money to play, but at the same time there's nothing guaranteed about anything that these players do from from the PGA Tour. Now they can go create their own uh, you know contracts with clubs with uh with you know companies for hat deals for shirt deals they just like, a, that just like a wide receiver in the nfl though right exactly you know they they facilitate all of the extra income that they make so i feel like we're starting to see a shift where it's like hey if we want to keep these guys here we need to offer them hey uh, here's a pga tour contract you you are a top 50 player in the world here's your 1.5 million dollars just or, like signing to the like signing to the carolina panthers Basically, part of the NFL, you'd be signing to the PGA Tour. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. Okay. That and that that like when you and it guarantees you, you that way. It makes a ton of sense. And I, I, if if it were me, if I were on, um, if I were with the PGA Tour, and and I knew that there was somebody that were that was there trying to, you know, pull players from my from from my tour, I would do everything I could to try to keep them there. And this is just the the start of it. I think it's going to get. I think it's going to get nasty, in my opinion. But it used to be like that. I think it's going to get, get releases. Don't you still have to get releases? Like, I mean, I remember my dad telling me stories about you know when he was playing his best back in the eighties that you know if if he got an exemption to go play in the Spanish Open, he had to basically you know ask for permission from the tour to go over there, and they were only granted a couple a year. And Dean Beeman, who was a prick for lack of a better word controlled all that and he would not let his guys away um to the point where like not dad but like players would get into um legal battles over the fact that like yeah that was a real thing yeah Yeah. so what's like but what is is that still around jay like i see i don't know like no it's not as much it's not as much i i feel like there's a there's definitely a, a separation between European and PGA Tour. There's absolutely a separation, and that still exists Not anymore. to this day. No, it does exist to this day. Now there are there is a little bit more correlation. I think there's a little bit more uh, of an opportunity where people are working with each other, and I think both tours are are understanding of each other because, quite frankly, the best 
the best thing the European tour or European conglomerate at Wentworth is to associate themselves with the PJ tour. Now there's a pride factor where they don't want to do so. But at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, their benefit is to do so from a financial standpoint. But there is, there is actually the European tour, the PJ tour have joined forces. There's now a strategic alliance and the PJ tour actually now owns a minority stake in the European tour. So they're trying to join forces to prevent Uh, this from happening. That's I think that's a good move for both of them. I mean, these are the two strongest tours on the PJ. I'm I'm sorry, two strongest tours in the, in the world. So if you want to combat, you know, some subsidiary tour with a bunch of money, See, that's yeah. where I think it's the biggest benefit, right? Jay is like, it's, it's not just the, the, the big ones. It's like the, the second and third. I'm sorry to cut you exactly. off, but like, no, no, you're right. hundred percent. That's going to be awesome. That's going to where the viewer will now pay attention, more attention. In my well, I am. I, you're, I think you're exactly right. I think if the PGA tour and the European tour can come together and they can kind of create their own super tour where you have, let's just say we play, 20 events in the PGA uh, in the U S and then 15 in in Europe that you you're talking about bringing in some world viewers where, you know, now the French open is like a big deal. You know, now people not only in the U S are watching it, but the people in Europe are watching or not only just Europe, but you know, all around, you know, and I feel like we'll get behind that shit. We love, we watched the tennis French open. Exactly. Who, who gives a but shit about reason, playing tennis on clay courts? Exactly. The reason you watch the French Open is because it's a major. It's a Grand exactly. Slam event, right? Yep. So yep. if the French Open becomes, and on the PGA Tour, if the French or the, the PGA slash European Tour, if that becomes a top-tier event, um, then then people watch. I mean, the coolest thing about, you know. What do you call it, Jay? What do you call it right now? Call well, it tour, French, French, French Open. Oh, what do no, we call no, it? No, no, this, this new tour. That's a great, yeah. That's that's all right. You got yeah, nine my seconds. Mar- my marketing brain just doesn't yeah. work like that. Okay, all right. Wait, wait, wait. All right. I'll give you. You get. You got like two minutes. Keep talking. It'll Keep come talking. to you. Thirty seconds. Well, but on that on that topic, though, I know we're going to wrap it up. But uh, that was one of the cool things about playing on the Latin PGA Tour. Every country that we went to, that was the one event that they had. That country would have one event, and that was their Latin PGA Tour event, and that was huge it was the biggest it was the biggest deal that they had so i i i kind of you know lumped those two together obviously on a on a larger scale if the pga tour and the european tour came together and they split this schedule you know where we had maybe 30 events and i think it would only help like the web.com let's just say we only had 30 events in the pga tour whereas now we have like 40 is it 40 or close to 40? Something like that, yeah. 30, yeah, so say we dropped it down, took 10 events out and moved them over to the European Tour. So those off weeks, now we watch the LPJ Tour. We watch Champions Tour. We watch Web or Corn Ferry. Now we bring more more viewers into those off weeks uh, as well. But but we, again, we're looking into some of these bigger events in Europe. And I think it, I think it, I think it could be a great thing. Um, it could be really I think cool. There's definitely room to, room to do some something different in sure sure absolutely so all right let's um we're not going to do our picks for wells fargo but we got wells fargo this week at quill hollow usually a pretty uh 
pretty star-studded field. A lot of the top players who have been off for a little bit. You got Rom, JT, Bryson, mm-hmm. Webb, Rory, Hovland, Xander. Yeah, that uh, was muted. Tony. Yep. I'm picking JT. Yeah. Everybody pick one. Go right now. Everybody go. Boom. Tony Finau is going to win. Xander. Tony's going to win his first big event. Okay. I'm picking Justin Thomas, but I would love to see Tony. Mac, who you got, bro? Webb Simpson. Oh, that's a good pick. North Carolina boy. Oh, my God. It's his home course. It's his home course. He lives on Quail. He has not historically played well there during the event, but. It's hard to pull against the guy in any event. I grew up with the guy. He's a stud. He's going to play well. If he doesn't win, he's going to finish top. All right. On that note, thank you to all of our listeners. This was just thrilling. And um, we will be back next week. Again, like, subscribe, listen, download. We'll see if all four of us are here. All right. Have a good one, guys. Take care. (laughs) 